it is, you know, there's there's a couple of theories of why supposedly Shalem got worse as his career went on. One thing I can support is the idea that his brain just died. Well, that's one theory, and I I, I think that's plausible about about as plausible as your um, tremors are from a different planet predator style. Yes, it's as plausible as that. But another theory, which makes a lot of sense to me, is that this is his first movie. So think about this: his whole life, he was planning for this movie. He had so much time for this movie. After this movie, with each movie he does, it's like, all right, well. Let, I mean, it makes sense that the creative juices don't flow as much on your fourth, fifth. Yeah, you get some movies that you're not proud of, but you also get more movies that you are proud of. I don't know, man. If you look at directors. This, this guy went from top of the hill to we. He was a roller coaster just going down. I'll say this, though. Even though critically people don't necessarily love Shalahem in terms of his career plight, I did read online that his movies always make money versus their budget. So he's always profitable. I think the only time he wasn't profitable was that After Earth movie with Will Smith and Jane Smith. Wait, put, you're telling me he made movie. Or, it's ironic, right? Okay, let me rephrase it. So you're telling me he made money off of that Avatar, the last Airbender movie he made. Oh, you know, that's funny. I, that doesn't feel right as you say it, <laughs> but that's what I read, that his movies always make profit. But... You're right. Airbender was a huge budget of bombs. That doesn't make sense. All right, let me rephrase this. It must be this. The, major- <laughs> the majority of time, his movies make money. and it, I think the problem with Airbender is that you don't give Shilohem a huge budget. He's best served with a small budget. Let him focus on the story, a small script, and then he'll make, he'll make money. But if you give him like $200 million and like special effects and all this stuff, then ah, so, he's not that kind of director, I don't think. I, I think I know the real problem with The Last Airbender. He never watched the show. His daughter gave him a brief subscription of what the show was, and he said, mission accepted. You know what's funny is that most people that hate Last Airbender, a lot of them are fans of the show and just hated what he did, right? And, and so you are. So I get that. So for me, here's what's even worse. I had never even seen the show. I'm just watching the movie fresh, like just open-minded, never seen the show, have no reason to be like wary of this. And I still came up being like, oh, that was the worst movie I've ever seen. So, I, what was he doing with that shoot? I don't understand. So, I am fine with people doing a live action remake of cartoons. You know, it gives physical actors a job and gives them a chance yeah, to who, be able to perform as who, character, who didn't like, characters. Who didn't like the original Ninja Turtles movies or even the first Transformers movie was pretty solid. So, yeah. And, but, however, <clears throat> the reason I didn't like it. Storylines was fucked. Uh, some of the fights we were supposed to get, we didn't. Because with this kind of a special effects, would have been amazing to watch that on screen. Uh, here's another thing. He completely took the bending powers of these characters and, I guess, tried to make them realistic, which makes mm. no sense. They were already realistic. And I can give you another example. And I'm, this will be the last example before I take this way too far and have a rant. Um, yes, please, because we do have to so, get back to uh, Sixth Sense. Yeah, so in the cartoon, in a very early episode, the crew get, finds out that airbenders are taking earthbenders from, from shore onto a completely steel ship, taking them away from being able to fight. Sounds like a smart plan. Right. In Shalahan's movie, the prison... Was next to a mountainside. 
know what we call that? That's when you watch the movie, you say, Shala Dam! Shala Dam! Oh, yeah. And Shala Dam, pro- man! And they pronounce the character Aang as Ong. And that's just wrong. Um, it definitely rhymes. We talked about this earlier, but is Airbender one of the examples we talk about of like a movie that's better served as a show because there's so much happening with the storyline that maybe nobody can do a two-hour movie that really does it justice. It should be a TV show, which you could do now. It's almost, it's almost always better as a TV show. For example, um, Say by the Bell, Wedding in Las Vegas. Better as a TV show. <laughs> Anyways. Avatar The Last Airbender, Airbender. Better as a show. And guess what? It is getting a live action TV show on Netflix. You know, as we jump into this, we dive into this Shalahan retrospective, I'm already seeing a pattern, though. If I think about After Earth, Airbender, it's what I said. Do not give this man a big budget. <laughs> Limit him. Make him rely on his script writing and do not let him tackle special effects and stuff. So, as we say, Shalahan retrospective is also pretty much Bruce Willis retrospective because our next movie is Unbreakable. And a lot of this is because my man Bruce has decided to retire. Because he has aphasia, which allows him, which he'll still be able to remember his lines, he just won't be able to speak them. Yeah, and I think that even though Bruce, the last couple years, was doing the kind of the direct-to-video movies that nobody had seen, I gotta say, man, one of my favorite actors in terms of his prime years, the, the amount of quality action movies he was putting out back in the day, and even, um, even like this kind of stuff, you think about Die Hard, and then this kind of stuff, it showed a lot of range as an actor. I mean, you can do drama, you can do comedy, you can do action. All hail Bruce Willis, great career, and maybe he'll still come back and do something. So. You know a movie I liked with him in it? Red. Yeah. Ah. Retired, yes. extremely dangerous. Yes, yes, yes. So now he is legitimately red. Did you like Red Part 2? It was fine. That, I feel like, you know, they didn't really need to do a sequel. It, they didn't need to do a sequel, but, yeah. Did you ever see um, The Whole Nine Yards with him? No. That's one we should do sometime. That's a solid kind of comedy slash drama. Um, all right, so, yeah, this is Bruce slash Shileham retrospective. Uh, Bruce retrospective, we'll do that... We'll explore that later on because he has a lot more movies and a lot more stuff you can do than Shalahan. Yeah. And by the way, if we're doing maybe the next couple of weeks the best of Shalahan, we eventually will have to also visit... Signs. No, no. If we're doing the best, we're going to have to visit the worst of Shalahan also. No. That means eventually, a double header, no. After <laughs> Earth, Last Airbender. Are you ready? <laughs> It's coming, man. We got to do it, man. We can't just focus on all these positives. We got to focus on the negatives, too. Well, then, you, sir, I think have just found what movie to do when I choose my next musical. Ooh. I think I might have found that replacement for Troll 2. <laughs> the one thing that gets Nick might be these really bad Shalahan movies, and he has a couple we can choose from. I mean, I still haven't seen After Earth, but definitely Last Airbender. Oh, my God. You should watch After Earth only after life has ended. <laughs> I'll be honest. That's going to be that because that would be our own personal hell. Fuck me. All right, let's start today, though, on a high note. His very first movie, The Sixth Sense, which I have to say, I actually saw in theaters when it came out. Really? Yeah, I was uh, in middle school and we, a friend wanted to go see it. And unfortunately, when I got home from the theater, my big brother asked me how I was. And I ruined the ending for him. 
You and he, dick. He brings that up even to this day. He won't let me live that down because this is one movie. You know, it's a, it's a cliche. Like, hey, don't give away the ending. Don't give away the twist. This is the mother of all. Don't give away the twist because it makes the entire movie. If you know the ending or don't know it, this is like the ultimate twist ending of all time. Probably, honestly, in a way. And as y'all know, our job is to give away the ending that has been around. For how many years now? Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> 1999. We're going on 23 years. <laughs> if you haven't seen the ending, I have no... Look, this is not... I take shit from my brother for it. I'm not taking shit from the audience. It's 23 years later. Just irresponsible if you're listening to this podcast and haven't seen the movie. You should know the ending of this movie. Bruce Willis is a ghost. You dick. You gave it away. I, you, so you, you're, reviewing the, you're reviewing the movie. You should have seen it. Oh. So, oh. oh, if you get any letters, you know, suggesting, hey, you know, why'd you guys give away the ending? Tough shit, all right? It's 23 <laughs> years later. I don't want to hear your complaints. So anyways, but the, the review is more fun anyways if we can like actually have that in mind because everybody's seen the movie. The idea is, does the movie have value if you already know the ending? On a rewatch, is there still value here? when the mystery's gone. And I would say there's, there's some movies like this, like, um, you know, uh, a few months back we reviewed Nighthouse, which I know you like a lot. And I like Nighthouse too, but a movie, there's certain movies where the value is like in those first one or two watches. Because the first watch, everything's a mystery. You don't know what's going on. You get the ending. You're like, oh, you go back and watch a second time and you're like, okay, I know the ending. Now let's see all the clues. And you watch it the second time, like, amazing. But you get to the third or fourth time, and you're like, okay, does this movie have any value now watching it now that I know everything? I know the jump scares. I know the twist. Some movies, then you get to the third or fourth watch, and it's like, okay, I like it, but I'm never going to watch it again. And for me, that is kind of like how Night House. I can't imagine rewatching Night House for at least 10, 15 years. There's other movies where I can watch once a year, knowing everything that happens, and it's still value there. So the question with Sixth Sense is, is there value? And I'll say this. I watched it in theaters, and then, I, and then I did not watch it until now. So it was a good 23 years since I've seen it. Now, I've watched it twice, though, in the last week. So I was really paying attention when I watched it this third time. Was there still value? So, so that's, that's, how, that's the, the, the perspective I'm going to give to it. It's like, okay, you know, how good is it on a first watch, and how good is it on a third watch? So, so I have only watched this movie twice. Oh, uh, my first time. <laughs> You're gonna hate me for this. It was definitely last not. year. <laughs> no, close. Uh, 2012. Oh wow, that's really actually random that you know the year too. By the way, I know it because it was the first year I was in the military. Ah, I watched it on the ship while we were underway. We were rocking, and so I had to deal with it glitching out on me like crazy. Wow. Okay. Still got. Still was able to see the ending. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. That's around the time. It's around about the time when After Earth would have been coming out. So you could have watched that and be like, oh, "This guy's a great director." And then be like, "Hey, what's his next movie?" It's After Earth. Let's watch that too. Glad you didn't fall in that hole. So I mean, granted, this definitely was not my first time with Shalham, but it was my first time watching this movie. That's interesting. So most people from Shalham they know this movie. I would say actually Signs is the next most popular movie after this one. Oh, I love Signs. 
Um, and then from there, it's like a mishmash of like Village, Unbreakable, in terms of like popularity. The happening. Which we wish didn't happen at all. So, The um, Village probably La- Lady have... in the Water. How about Go Back in the Water and Drown that movie? I've never seen it. It actually wasn't that bad. It just, yeah, it was kind of on. You could, he was trying to milk the whole twist ending thing. Like, okay, don't be a director where you're only known for the twist ending. Because then everyone's looking for it. And it's always going to be disappointing. It's not going to live up to that first or two twist endings you had in your first couple movies. It's going to always be too high expectations, never going to meet those expectations. Now, was Sixth Sense actually his first movie directing as well, or did he direct anything other than that? Because I know this was written by him. This is his first direct movie. This is the first movie he directed. First movie he directed and written. So he, he just came in as writer and director. I don't know the writing part because he had... He had um, he did Unbreakable like a year later, but he had talked about for years he had sort of been working on Unbreakable. So I don't know if he wrote it f- first or what, but definitely the first movie that he made. So <clears throat> that can happen sometimes where like, you know, some, uh, someone will write a movie, they'll make another movie, and then when that movie's successful, they can go back and use that thing they wrote before and actually get to finance. Um, so actually, I mean... As his debut movie, I mean, I can see wherever this movie, the hype was like crazy. The hype is like, whoa, this is the next big best director. Uh, this is a hell of a movie to come out the gates with. I mean, he definitely knows how to work that camera. I want to give some quick credit to the score. Oh, yes. The score is amazing. On the opening credits, I was thinking, hmm, this score is like almost like a horror movie, but then it feels like a drama, too. It did a good job establishing... Because this is going to be a very weird thing they're going for, which is like a drama with horror elements. That's really unusual. Um, I guess now it's pretty common. Like something like Nighthouse, like the slow burn horror movie slash drama is more common now. But back in 1999? Yeah, everyone wanted fast pace. You had slasher movies. and uh, Yeah, this is, this is a tough sell back then. But people liked it. So, Well, let's get into why people liked it. First, our main character. Yes. Well, I don't know if there is a main character, but there's two main characters. Uh, but, okay, well, our adult main character. I will say our man Bruce Willis is playing Mr. Malcolm Crow, Dr. Malcolm Crow. Oh, he's a doctor of kids. He's a child psychologist. Of kids. Um, so is Freddy Krueger, some would say. Um, <laughs> he's not that kind of doctor, though. <laughs> right. Um, so, Freddy just likes playing with knives. Yeah, Freddy, depending on which movie you see. And he likes drawing blood. And he was either a child killer, child rapist, or maybe he was innocent, depending on which version of the movie you saw, or if you're talking about the remake. So, I mean, he was never innocent, because even the remake decided to double back on that. And also, by the way, he was either a janitor or... A gardener. Nah. Nah. Well... Or a factory worker, because technically, the original was he was a factory worker. Yeah. Well, he had access to a factory randomly, so... Then you got Wes Craven posing as Freddy, being a janitor in a high school. Yep. Well. Um, Fucking Henry Winkler. (laughs) I was going to say the Fonz. Um, Anyways, so we start off with with Dr. Malcolm Bruce Willis. I'm just going to call him Malcolm, I guess. And his wife. Just from now on, everybody just remember, his name's not said that much in this movie, but Bruce Willis is Malcolm. So Malcolm and his wife. Malcolm in the middle? Yes. I mean, I guess technically he's in the middle world. That's true, actually. Yes, that is actually quite appropriate. It's after the scene, anyway. So this is a scene where 
We see that he's come from some kind of award ceremony where he's gotten an award. And he's drunk. And him and his wife are going to have sex to celebrate. And they find out someone's in their bathroom. Somebody who's almost naked. Yes. Somebody who... Apparently an old patient of his. Who's actually Donnie Wahlberg from the old boy band New Kids on the Block. Yes. Lots, by the way, good props to him because and I read in the trivia section for this that even though he has like a 30-second scene, <laughs> this man lost 45 pounds for the role to be on screen for 30 seconds. That's dedication, man. That's some, <laughs> some Christian Bale shit. Um, and then he pulls off an incredible uh, psychosis break. Yeah. And then shoots, shoots Malcolm and then shoots himself. I mean, hey, you know, I was surprised. This was a very cheery opening, and now our main character has already been shot. Where do we go from here? We uh, go to... Cole. The ne- <laughs> oh, you actually have my job this time. <laughs> we don't watch this out like you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> um, yes. Um, okay. Actually, we get a, a thing that says the next fall. Yeah. That's kind of weird. Normally, it would say one year later. So I thought that was interesting use of something different. So I'm assuming it's three to six months later. This movie does a good job with time because this movie doesn't really establish like when things take place and like it goes scene to scene, but you don't know if it's like the next day, a week later. It's really interesting how it kind of plays the brain. And I think that's because you're supposed to be seeing things actually from Malcolm's perspective. Which and if it, he's a ghost, he's he a doesn't ghost. have a there, yeah. perspective of time either. That's the brilliant thing I noticed about the movie is that like you're seeing the movie kind of flow like float float along like a ghost almost like there's no rhyme or reason just goes from scene to scene he just pops up in different settings so how did he get cole's uh doctor's notes he doesn't have his doctor notes he has a sheet a piece of paper written down he has his name and his address yeah and then he has uh different things about the kid so how did he get all that when he can't even talk to people? Well, it's like he was assigned this kid, but yeah. yeah. So <laughs> we got to think there's bigger forces at work that we're not going to find out about the movie because clearly he's been assigned to Cole. He just magically appears here for outside of his apartment building. So some higher force put him in this position basically with enough information to make this work. Um, he follows Cole to a church. They have a brief conversation where he basically figure out that this kid really doesn't want to talk to Malcolm and doesn't trust him and will rather just steal things from the church and run to school. Um, so, um, dude, okay. Dude. <laughs> yeah, we, it's interesting. We get, we do get a lot of Malcolm in his day to day life pretty much. We establish pretty quickly that him and his wife suddenly have a very estranged relationship they live in the same house, but she does not want to communicate with them anymore. Now, when I watched it the first time in theaters, I was like, okay, well, yeah, couples have issues sometimes where they can be in the same house and not communicate. It's a little bit extreme. Usually some one party would maybe move out if it's that bad. But And honestly, with a situation, I guarantee you, a situation that had happened, uh, it could be played out as Malcolm now putting his whole life into his work so something like that doesn't happen again. Because his character, even though he's happy he got the award, probably actually felt something of the fact that he didn't actually help this kid. Well, we're going to learn later in the movie, basically, that the wife always felt that he was putting the job in front of their relationship. But I will say that in the opening flashback scene where he got shot, 
they seemed like a genuinely happy couple. Mm. So it was like a stark contrast that he gets shot, and now like the next fall, things are so bad between them. Like how him getting shot, the idea that that somehow tears them apart seems kind of off a little bit. Like watching it back now, you're like, wait a minute. They seem like they're really in love, and then he gets shot. Shouldn't that almost bring them closer together, maybe? Like, <sighs> he probably helped them with his recovery. And Pretty much your, fir- your first clue of him being a ghost is, is, even though it looks like she may be interacting with him when she says, happy anniversary, she's not. She's she's in. She's actually, it makes sense that she's in grieving. Yeah, she's grieving. Her whole, everything about her is like a wife in grieving. We just don't pick up on it because we see him in the house, and he's like talking to her, she won't listen, so it just seems like they're estranged. Um, and almost every time she says something, it's almost it's just coincidentally to an answer to a question he answered. Right? You got to give Shaw him a lot of credit because he carefully makes sure every scene is like plausible. Like, okay, if he's a ghost and he's doing what he's doing, well, yeah, it makes sense that she wouldn't be responding if they are so like discommunicated. So he carefully picks out all these scenes, like them at a restaurant together, like she says happy anniversary. And it's basically like, well, yeah, she's grieving, basically. And he's sitting there, but it makes it seem like she's saying fuck off to him. Mm-hmm. So he does a great job of carefully picking scenes to when you watch it, rewatch it with him as a ghost, it still works. Um, so again, props to him. We can maybe get a little bit too much. It's like the stuff, the movie to me always picks up when the kid's on screen. The Bruce and his wife stuff, we established they're estranged. But then they keep establishing it over and over again without getting new information. We get, we get a lot of scenes of her ignoring him in different contexts and maybe slows the movie down, but they want to kind of have two stories going. They want to have the, him and his wife, and they want to have the kid story kind of running separately. But it, the kid stuff is way more interesting. So I should mention, granted, I still haven't seen this movie, but there is an actress in this movie who is in a big-name movie who... She apparently got a lot of fans from said movie. The movie is hereditary. The actress is Toni Collette, the mother of Cole. She actually, I didn't know this, but she actually got nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress from this movie. Really? Well, I mean, she was great in this movie. So even though, like, I thought she's, even though I think she's very underrated and unknown, it's like she's actually getting nominated for awards and stuff. I mean, she's not unknown anymore. Hereditary apparently shot her up. Well, the horror community loves her, but being great in horror movies never gets you respect in the world. Until you do one of those elevated horrors. No, I mean, let's say, <laughs> let's say theoretically Nighthouse is elevated. That girl ain't getting no awards, even though she's like carries the entire movie. <laughs> I didn't see her nominate for no Oscar. She should be. I agree. She carried that movie. Um, okay, so Cole and his mom, we do introduce their relationship. They... She's obviously a single mom, and we get she a. Obviously, loves her son. We get a really fun scene where she walks away from the kitchen for five seconds. She comes back. All the stuff is. All open. the damn drawers and cabinets <laughs> are open, and Cole's in the exact same spot he was when she left. And he's looking. He's looking not. I wouldn't say freaked, just concerned. Well, she. He doesn't want to tell her what's going on, so she's like, um, "Were you looking for something?" He's like, "Pop tarts." Pop tarts, <laughs> and she's like. It's right there. <laughs> it's like right the most obvious thing is the pop tars. Just makes him look like an idiot. So, also I should mention I will probably be giving my wife's reaction because this was her very first time watching this movie. 
Wow. She didn't know the ending? Nope. Ooh, that, no, that's interesting. I could see myself rewatching with somebody who hasn't seen it just to see if they guess it. But that, that's no, uh, more rewatch. Okay. The only thing she knew about this movie was when Cole tells Bruce, I see dead people. Because that was like in the trailer. Every, that was like a pop culture line. Everybody knew the line, I see dead people. Hell, I even did. And I st- like I said, I didn't see the movie till 2012. We do get, um, I guess, introduction to an asshole kid. Oh, the, uh, the Tommy. kid. Tommy, yeah, yeah. Tommy's asshole. Um, but I'll say we do get um, another clue here. We get Cole comes home from school. His oh. mom is there. And you see Bruce Willis uh, sitting over on the couch. And his mom's like, I'm going to make you some pancakes. You got one hour. <laughs> And she disappears in the kitchen. And then he walks in, and then Bruce Willis starts talking. So on a rewatch, you notice that, oh, this scene is brilliant because the whole scene, Cole doesn't talk. Bruce, Bruce Willis is talking. And you're like, oh, they did this because if Cole talks, his mom would be in the kitchen to hear him talking. and be like, who are you talking to? <laughs> so again, it's a very smart, calculated move by Shalahem to have a dialogue where Cole just doesn't talk and Bruce Willis does all the talking. I mean, he, so his mom's in there making the pancakes and she doesn't hear anything. I mean, he technically does talk later, uh, a little bit sooner, but he whispers it. <clears throat> yeah, but 90% of the scene is like done in a way where it's like there's no conversation that his mom... It's also his mom can't pick up on anything. Right. If there's any real conversation, his mom would be like, Honey, are you <laughs> talking to somebody? Is somebody in the living room? So you're still in the guise of like, hey, well, yeah, that's it. That's, He's been assigned him. That's his therapist. So, um, so again, good, good. If you watch the first time, this is still a mystery. You're not really picking up on this. I'd be surprised if your wife picked up on it the very first time watching it. There's clues, but if you don't know that ending, it's very hard to pick up on the first so, time. So with that scene, she actually said that there are a lot of child therapists who use that same tactic yeah. as a way to get the kid to converse with them without actually opening their mouths because a lot of kids... Meeting an adult stranger, shy. Yeah. That make, a lot of child therapists does use that as a form of communication. And that makes the script even smarter because then it means that it works with what they're trying to do with the movie, but then also it happens to be medically correct. Well, more, more power to you. I'm more impressed. Um, <laughs> um, my worst scene, this stuttering teacher in the classroom scene. <laughs> this felt so out of place for this movie. And also... It, it felt so weird, and I felt so awkward for everybody in the scene. Especially the teacher, because, you know, the, the actor had to start stuttering and then had to literally All call the kid All this trauma freak. from this, too. And I'm just sitting there thinking to myself. I don't even know what purpose this served, though. It's like, <laughs> Is it supposed to be a clue that, we're, that he's able to see something that's not there? Because it just feels like he's bullying the teacher at this point. Yeah, it, felt, it escalated to, like, such an uncomfortable thing when the, when the teacher starts stuttering. <laughs> I'm just like... And I and, and thinking back in hindsight, I'm like, okay, well, we could have removed this scene for the movie. I don't know. If, I don't know if you need it. If it was like paramount to the story and you need it, sure. But I think you probably I, I, could remove th- that. I guess it was paramount to the story because now we get a teacher calling him a freak when technically Cole already told us that everyone calls him a freak. And 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 I just don't. I don't even see the teacher reacting that way. No. I don't think him. The teacher like, okay, the kid's bothering me, so I'm gonna call him a freak. Like, I don't see that happening either. That's, this is, yeah, the it was a weird would probably exchange. fired right away. Yeah. That, now, that, granted, uh, yeah. what I would have been able to see is if the teacher 
Sure, could have started stuttering, but still would have told him, was like, okay, you're disrupting in class, get out. Go see the principal. That would have been a more realistic choice. What they did was they had Cole bully him, and then he's like, I'm going to bully you back. <laughs> right. What the hell? It's like, you bully a teacher, most teachers are just going to say, fuck it, go to, the, go to see the principal. If they were trying to establish something, because I know what they're trying to get to is a point where Cole opens up to Malcolm and tells him that he sees dead people. But this scene doesn't do it. What happens is Cole goes to this birthday party at a friend's house or some of the kid's house. And this is where he has the big freak out. So I don't think it's a friend's house. I think it's like a rec center almost that was rented. It's something where him and his mom got invited and there's other kids there. Yeah. And a lot of, and then of course parents are like, yeah, you're welcome for inviting him. And then all the kids are like, but it looks like, it's, like it. it looks like a house though. Are you sure it's like a rec room? It's, and there's, it, like, there's like an upstairs with rooms and stuff. So yeah, but the upstairs just seems awkward. Almost like, almost like it was supposed to be a lighthouse. <laughs> I'm assuming it's someone's house, but it just looks like an awkward house. Yeah. Um, and these little punk kids lock him in a dark room, probably with a ghost in there. Well, there was a ghost in there because he kept because we even hear the distorted sounds of "Help me, let me out." It's so funny because. Um, the horror elements on the movie are basically all the ghosts, right? Even and though it's not really horror, it still honestly we, feels like a drama. But we don't know that yet, though. The, the first couple of scenes where the ghosts are in there, they're used like jump scares. <laughs> it's, it's used to make them, like, because Cole sees the ghost as potentially a threat. He doesn't know, are they friendly ghosts or evil ghosts? So from what he's seeing, it's like a jump scare. Like the, the, the ghosts jump out and try to scare him and stuff. <laughs> so the few jump scares are pretty actually... And the theater, people jumped at a couple of those. When, they, when you see the people hanging, people are like, oh, my God. When the, um, in the, uh, his little tent thing, when the girl was throwing up, right. people jumped in their seats in the theater. So, so believe it or not, my wife didn't jump once throughout this whole movie. Yeah. And she jumps easily. Well, the jump scares in the theater were, were, were good, but they don't work at home. I don't know. It's one of those, it didn't translate the same thing. I was thinking, I was like, I remember this being scary in theaters and then watching it. Also, it was like, uh. to be honest with you, I don't think half these jump scares were even meant to be jump scares. They didn't have a loud booming noise that follows jump scares. They're just, you all of a sudden you see the hanging bodies and they're, they're not jump scares sound wise, but they cut to something very quick to the shirt. That's the tr- that's supposed to like try to scare you. Yeah, like whenever they cut to the dead people, it's like a quick thing. Out of nowhere. Which so. is fine, but... It's supposed to surprise I, you, at least. Uh, it's Which is fine, but I don't classify those as jump scares. I classify them, really, as a real scare. Because at the same time, your body, instead of jumping and then all the pressure just releasing, your body just tenses. And you feel the hit. You feel goosebumps. I think, I think the only thing that threw you off is the lack of music. If you got the, the music to go with the jump scare, you would have been no, like... No, I've gotten scared from things without music, but like I said, me, a real fear is when your body just reacts in a different way than just oh my god oh, okay i'm fine that's exactly what a jump scare is you just i hate jump scares I yeah like that, real scares okay well this was a, <laughs> a jump scare is supposed to be that oh my god yeah but again i don't think shallaham was going for jump scares i think he was going for a real scare I, everything is heightened Ex- exactly exaggerated i was hell i was watching a movie it comes at night i'm sitting we're sitting there watching with maybe five people in the whole theater mm-hmm. me and my wife just we're reacting normally. No. Okay, cool. 
you know, something uh, exciting happens or intense or something you feel like you should pay attention to, lean mm-hmm. forward. I get this guy behind me when the ending comes up. Yeah, you kill that bitch. <laughs> it's like it just took me out of the whole fucking movie. Well, well, watching a movie in theaters always has the problem of, you know, who's watching with you because you can have kids in the movie theater, you can have loud people, you so can the have other two. This is, we're kids, and they didn't even pull out their damn phones. The guy behind me, I, I almost took his phone from him and threw it because he was like, "Oh, this movie's boring." Ding dong. Oh, sweet. <laughs> have you watched the? Uh, you ever seen a uh, Mr. Bean? No. I almost sent a YouTube video. There's a clip of, uh, he, he does kind of, he's the character Mr. Bean, is Rowan Atkinson, but he does like all these like skits and stuff. And there's a skit on YouTube with him where um, he goes to the movie theater with his girlfriend to watch a horror movie. And like, he walks in the theater like he's like the most confident, like that the girl's gonna be the one scared. And when the movie starts, he's like the one that's scared shitless. And she's like just enjoying the movie. And he's like, let's get out of here. Let's go. It's a hilarious like thing. But, um, yeah, that's true. I, the best movies to watch in theaters are like slasher movies because then everybody's kind of having fun and you expect to be loud, but like a serious and, horror movie, I don't know. And also with slashers, jumps, when a jump scare happens, everyone jumps and then they're all laughing afterwards. They're all gawking at the gore. If it's a serious horror movie and like it's, there's, like, there's like suspense and tension and the dude behind you is like, don't go in that room. You're like, shut the hell up. But if it's like a scream movie, you're like, He's like, don't go in the room. Everybody laughs. Like, yeah, don't go in that room. Right, because it's but if it's like, like Nighthouse, you're like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> so luckily, again, Nighthouse, I'm actually happy me and my wife saw that one because we were the only ones in that damn theater that day. It was day. pandemic during pandemic, right? <laughs> yeah. Nah. But we were still the only ones in that theater that I'd day. I'd have been scared. I'd have been scared shit. Let's watch them by myself in the theater. I'd be looking <laughs> behind me and be like, and especially if you're like, like, what's that? And if your wife's like, it's nothing. I'm like, ah! <laughs> Cole at this party freaks out. Now he's in the hospital. And now we get the reveal. You finally trust Malcolm enough to let him know, hey, the truth is, I'm telling you my secret, I haven't paid taxes since I was a little kid. And no. Malcolm's like, listen, man, we can get you a tax attorney. You'll be all right. And he's like, look, I, you got to help me out here. So, so then um, we, we have a side story about him getting his tax problem fixed. But, um, are you sure you watched the right yeah. movie? Yes, yes. Okay, no, okay. <laughs> As we all know, his problem is he sees, he sees dead, dead people. people. Yeah. And then... And, and Malcolm tries to clarify, in your dreams, right? No. no. All the time. <laughs> while, I'm, while I'm awake. So, and this is also where we start seeing the dead people with Cole. Now that the secret's out, now we finally get to see what he's saying. Interesting enough, though, Malcolm's initial reaction basically is like, he's got his little clipboard. He's like, mm, this kid's crazy. <laughs> it's like, not, he, he needs professional help that I can't give him. Yeah, Malcolm is not like, he's not something like, no. Oh, but oh. the problem is this. Uh, he actually kind of reverts back to, no, that's not a good idea, because now he remembers the guy that shot him. He's like, well, I did the same thing with that guy, and he didn't turn out well. Which leads him to go back and listen to these tapes, where he discovers that, ooh, that guy was, like, seeing things, too. And now he has a reason to actually believe Cole. And or at the very least, stay with him so he can try and make sure that the same situation isn't going to happen again. So we get a few of these, like, a few of the jump scare things where Cole at night is, like, in his bathroom and, you know, seeing the ghost like that. And how the movie kind of comes to its thing is, like, okay, Malcolm is like, hey, I think I know what you should do. These ghosts, they're just looking for help. So listen to them. So, help them. So to be honest with you, there's only one ghost in here I felt like would have actually been a threat to Cole. And that was the woman in the kitchen. 
Yeah. She felt like she would have been the only real threat to Cole. Well, I don't know. I mean, the, the problem is, again, in terms of the horror elements, or even the stakes, at a certain point, it's kind of like, well, these ghosts are not harming him, really. Well, we don't even know if they can harm him. I mean, I, yeah. if I remember correct, I think Malcolm actually does, like, touch him, put his hand on his arm or something. But we, but he never actually harms him. But if Malcolm can touch him, then so can the other ghosts. And and Malcolm, I think the reason why he's like, you know, you should help them listen to him, I think because Malcolm's been assigned by some higher force who gave him the, the, the knowledge of, hey, this is how you can help this kid. He doesn't know that he's getting this like thing, but he also doesn't know he's dead, so... Well, it, granted, yeah, but it could be uh, God sending him down to be like, hey, you need to help this kid before you can come up to heaven. Have fun. By the way, you can't remember shit, so bye. <laughs> yeah, well, again, like, this whole movie feels like a dream sequence because, like I said, we just see Malcolm going from different scenarios. One thing you notice is that he, all his therapy sessions with Cole are always, like, him showing up to where Cole is at. There's no office where Cole comes to his office and they have like these meetings. Also, it's him showing up at the church, at Cole's house, uh, in the library, all these places where it's like, it's, it is kind of a weird thing on the rewatch. It's like, why is he like, follow, he has to follow Cole throughout his day to day in order to have these therapy sessions. Also, we never see his boss because you think his boss would be saying something to him because, yeah, he may be a child psychiatrist, psychologist, but I'm sure. He has a boss, or maybe we start seeing billboards of him, billboards or something in the newspaper of him saying, "Your kid needs help. Call this number." Yeah, and and they almost got me with the the scene at the hospital where um, Shilohem's playing the doctor, <laughs> and he's explaining, you know, to um, Cole's mom, and they show Bruce Willis sitting right next to them, and he's also reacting too, and it's kind of back and forth. Of course, you don't see him interact with either of them, but it's you. But that makes you feel like, oh yeah, he's there and all that. So. Interesting. Yeah, yeah but... Uh, All right, so anyways, we know Cole basically feels like, hey, I'm going to try to listen and see if these ghosts need help. So he goes to the funeral... Of the dead girl that shows up to him. Who's been throwing up, uh, you know, whatever. Goo, and Gloop. Yeah. Uh, and he actually says, like, hey, do you have something you want to tell me? Much lower, but just the way, the way right. Cole talks. Well, they find out that this little girl had a, has a recording. And this recording... T, he tmz She tmz this whole thing. So. Yep. And this recording... Again, I'm going to bring up my wife because her first reactions to this... Oh, all I heard from her as she's watching, the, watching this scene play out... She's pretty much getting the same exact phase as the father on the screen... And I feel bad for that father because that's that's so much to take in at once. Right. You're and already, also, you're already grief. Put your think about this. He's already grieving his daughter dying. Mm-hmm. Now, probably during the grieving process, he's just thankful that at least I have my wife. Now that's about to be fucked up too. Yeah. And I don't another, know if this actually helps him, honestly. And another <laughs> thing is, props to the actors behind the father, but you could tell by their body body expressions because we don't see face. Their body expressions tell us that they're watching the same video and they're just getting mortified as well. It's funny because, like, in okay, in the big picture, this is the daughter getting justice for her death. Yeah, she was betrayed by the mom. Justice, right? Mm-hmm. But I really think the father may actually kill himself the next day. Is like the 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 end part of the story is that 
He's already grieving for his daughter. Now you're taking away his wife. Well, he, he, he has another he daughter. He now no longer can stay with his... Well, okay, granted. But now, even that, he has to explain to the daughter that, hey, mom's going to jail, whatever the rep- repercussions are now, that she's going to be probably... I don't know if she can, they can convict her on anything, but... Oh, no, you can. That video shows murder. It's first-degree murder because that was clear intent with her having to think that through. And I'm not saying she should get a pass. Obviously, she deserves to go to jail. I'm just thinking, like, the family's already devastated. This is going to be just like, my God, now I'm losing my wife, too, because the bitch killed my daughter? I mean, I'd be... I mean, in the, in, the, in the immediate seat, he's going to be, like, very angry. So he's going to probably, you know... He's probably uh, beating the shit out of her. He's probably going to kill the woman. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, a year later, when things start dying, it's like, damn, last year I lost my wife and my daughter? It's gonna, that's going to be... It's almost more... I don't know. I mean, but still, would you rather? Would you want to stay with a woman that killed your daughter? Hell so no! If you most have likely, is going to kill your second daughter. <laughs> and then, if you got a life insurance policy, she gonna, <laughs> she gonna kill him too. He gonna be eating oatmeal one day, and be like, "This oatmeal don't taste right." <laughs> right. Even the little girl said, "This, this don't taste good." It's like, don't worry, it's because you're sick. Yeah, but Which sadly, it's still a legitimate thing to keep a kid from keep a kid eating. But we see basically that hey. Okay, this is what Cole is meant to do. He's meant to go help these ghost people get justice. Which then he finally tells Bruce how what he can do to help him. Hey, talk to your wife while she's sleeping. Also, okay, how would a kid know so, know to do that? You know, there's a big there's a big big question that everybody has about this movie, and it hangs throughout. And even rewatching it, I don't know. Like, Cole is very conscious of when he sees a dead person. The question is always, like, does he know Bruce Willis is dead? Because I'm, I'm watching their interactions, and even though, if you think about it, when Bruce Willis first comes to him, he's very, very hesitant to talk to Bruce Willis, to let him be around him. But he's not scared of him. He's not reacting to him as if he's a ghost. But what would be special about Bruce Willis here, where, to where everybody else, Cole's like, Dead person, dead person, dead person. <clears throat> Bruce Willis, dead person, but Cole's like, oh, my child psychologist. It's very interesting. I don't so, know. What I think it is, because I do think he, Cole knows he's dead. I, I think by the end, it's almost like, because that whole advice of like, talk to her when she sleeps. That you sounds like. no, he's dead. And he because even, that's advice you would tell, like, okay, it's, he's almost saying like, hey, okay, you're dead, but how can you communicate with her? Okay. And talk this is also. Sleeping. Cole and Malcolm's goodbye to each other because he even says after today we're not going to see each other no more. But 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 that that's and Cole's still, the one but, who initiated it. But that still makes sense as them humans because it just means that hey, you're my psychologist and there's no I don't I no longer need your help. It doesn't mean like hey, all right, well you're going off the after, the afterlife necessarily. Well, I mean, to be, to be thank, truthful, kid can't make that damn decision. Either the doctor or the mother or both have to make that decision. It's. I mean, maybe this is a smart move because we're wondering about it 20 years later, but it's written in a way where it's like just ambiguous. Like, based on Cole's reactions, we don't know if he actually thinks he's talking to a ghost or if he thinks he's talking to a psychologist. Yeah, but we just don't know. They don't talk about it. But also think about some of the other ghosts that's come to him besides Bruce Willis. All of them have their gore pretty much showing. Malcolm doesn't. But, we, but the movie's from Bruce Willis's perspective. What if Malcolm's actually seeing him with the bullet hole? And, but it's, I feel like he'd have, been, he'd have been more scared, though. Yeah. He, t- he treats him like a human being, yeah, so I have to think that. that. But, but yeah, there's something... Um, Bruce Willis's character apparently as a ghost is given a lot of privileges that these other dead people are apparently just like treated like shit because 
he's he's given self awareness. He's able to be at the end be like, hey, I had to help this kid, and also I had to tell you that you know you weren't second to my job. He's given a chance opportunity to give a speech to his wife while she's sleeping. So he's given a lot of privilege that um, well, I mean, these the other little, dead people aren't afforded necessarily. Well, I mean, so. the little girl also had that pretty much that same privilege. She's had to go through the confines of how of her death, but but think about it, though, Cole could have told her, "Hey, go talk to your dad while you're sleeping, <laughs> just to tell him the truth." She had to go, yeah. She well, had to have a she had to have a damn video. So well, there's also the fact that she was newly dead. He, even though he didn't know it, wasn't wasn't newly dead. So maybe he just goes to innately get certain abilities throughout the time. Think about this though, too. Basically, he's been dead for a while, right? But this whole thing starts like a while later because she is. It's the next fall, and she's and she also, seeing another guy. So, yeah. some, so what has been what was happening in that weird in between period for him? He was just like in nowhere land or something. So the nothing got a hold of him. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we're already talking about. It. We might as well jump in the ending. So basically, obviously, he's dead. He's dead. That's the twist, as we know. And before we get there, though, I would say that um, I mean, spoiler. My my top scene is going to be Cole and his mom in the car. Mm. Because it has such an emotional, such good acting. I mean, God, my God. Like, From both of them. Because <laughs> actually, the best line that Bruce Willis gave to Cole was like, hey, it's time for you to start talking to people that you care about. Which means... Your mom. Tell your mom about this thing. She'll understand. And given the relationship, I feel like Cole would have known earlier on, I can talk to my mom about this. His mom is nothing but understanding and caring from the beginning. But Cole's like refusing until end of the movie, refusing to let her in on the secret. I feel like he probably could have told her a long time ago, and she would have been right. But we get this cool car scene, and you know, getting good writing. Convinced she's maybe maybe she wouldn't believe him, but he tells her about the grandma and what the grandma is saying, and saying something only the grandma and her would know, and that convinces her. And I think from there they're good, probably. So oh yeah, that's 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 the real ending. Then we get the Bruce Willis ending, which is a little bit more... Okay, I mean... He talks to his wife, realizes he's dead. And then we get the whole twist of everything going around, why he couldn't open the door to his office, because she put the damn door uh, table in front of it. Yeah, that makes sense. I didn't feel an emotional connection with their relationship, so I didn't care as much about him, like, you know, being able to sell things with his wife. We only got one scene at the very beginning of them together. It's not like you could have done the like 20 minutes, but... But that scene was supposed to show how much they love each it was, other. It was three minutes. <laughs> so? It's like... The good only, actors can make a scene in three minutes. The only relationships, the only relationship, relationships in this movie that were shown that matter are Cole and his mom, and Bruce Willis and Cole. So ending on the Bruce Willis and his wife, I know that's the big twist, so you have to end there, but that wasn't emotionally satisfying i don't care about his wife his wife's messing with the damn her co-worker so <laughs> she's already moved on anyways um well, technically yes and no i mean she you can tell she wants to be with this guy but also she still has the doubts and she's still grieving over her lost husband now because he's moving on she feels like she may be able to move on yeah but again think big picture though stop being pessimistic I no, I would love everybody <laughs> grieving. The dead one gets to talk to the settled things in their mind. I mean, that would be beautiful. You think God's gonna be like, hey, <sighs> she thinks your career is more important. You get to stay on earth and settle no, things. That's that very could be small. His two regrets though. 
he died before he could actually show his wife that how much he loved her versus the job, and he could help somebody who actually legitimately needed it. That his two regrets. That could be why he has that uh, privilege because he has more than the one. That that opening scene, given where they went, okay, I love the writing of the movie. That opening scene, if it showed them having some friction and then he gets shot, it's like, whoa, this is unsettled because we had a fight and then I got shot and died. Instead, what they show at the beginning is them having their happiest night together ever, and then he gets shot. I'm like, well, closure. You had the best night ever with your wife, and then you died. Not true. He didn't have sex. I'm just saying, think uh, think about where they went. It's more impactful of actually they're fighting at the beginning. Now... He really feels like, damn, I'm not even getting to fix this with my life. Instead, they're, they're showing... It was just well, bad. That was bad writing. I'm well, saying, the whole bad. thing with the whole beginning is she said she still told him, I know this job's more important than me, but I'm, but I'm fine with it. Doesn't mean... And maybe he wanted to say something then, but he didn't. The stuff with his wife, they're like, okay, while you're helping the kid, yeah, go float around your wife's house, see what she's doing, bother her. Try to give some kind of weird closure. You know, but the main reason why his ghost was still on Earth was simply to help out Cole, and his wife was just some side thing that he tried. That is, his, I, I think the only reason you're not no 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 I'm because you don't I'm, have a no 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 the mindset no no but I'm not looking from his perspective. <clears throat> I'm trying to say basically that whoever was the higher force saying okay, you get to stay on Earth until you do one thing. The one thing was help this kid. It wasn't settle things with your wife. I think that was a side thing that he did while. He, you know, Cole's at school, so while he's doing that, I'm going to go talk to my wife. He anyway. didn't even find out he was dead until he saw his ring fall out of yeah. his wife's hand. <laughs> but it was okay for that to happen <clears throat> now because things were settled to Cole. At any point in time, that would have happened. And then who, and that, whoever it is would decide, hey, okay, your time's up now. Or it's not really control, but it's help. Maybe whoever put him in front of Cole is trying to help him so he can move on. Uh, how about we get into our categories? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> Yeah, we, best uh, performance. Man, you know what? I'm giving it to the kid because yeah, Cole did amazing. What, what was the name? Haley Joel Osment. Yep, he did amazing, and that is saying something for a kid. So I was reading about how he got the part. So Shalem said for three reasons. First reason, he was the best kid for the part. Second reason, he was the only kid that wore a tie to the audition. <laughs> Third reason, this is where I think is funny. He said when the kid came in. He gave him cookies. No. Oh. The, he asked the kid, have you read the part? And he said, I read it three times last night. And he said, you read the part three times last night? And the kid said, no, I read the entire script three times last night. Oh, damn. <laughs> Kid's fucking lying. <laughs> he didn't read the entire script three times. But that's a smart thing to say because Shalom was like, my God, what a kid. <laughs> it, it automatically. Yeah. I do believe he read probably his part three times. Well, yeah, but then but he shows he has serious here, so. Exactly, he has the he has the gahones, the the drive for this role. Yeah, I mean, listen, next um, next to young Dakota Fanning, I mean, this is probably the best child performance you could ever ask for. So, I mean, it's rivaled by um, that kid in West Craven's Zoo Nightmare. So it's like second place behind that, and third place behind. Um, the kid in Nightmare on Street Part 5. Hey, put that bottle down. Hey, put it down. Recycle that. Um, I will recycle it across your head. Hey, I'm saying, you know, when we, do our, when we one day do our top five, child, top five child performances, he's got some stiff competition by those Nightmare kids. I'm just saying, man. Anyways, worst performance. Ooh, how dare you? How, 
Where are you going to go with the worst performance? I'm, I'm going to go with the kid from Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Um, Wait a minute. Because fuck that kid. All right. That's, no, um, I'm talking about this movie, though, damn it. Uh, yeah. Uh, honestly, with this movie... Bruce Willis? <laughs> no. Uh, I'm going to give it to the little prick Tommy, just because... Come on, man. The, the kid did nothing the whole damn movie. He was supposed to be... He didn't have any scenes. What, supposed to do? what are you talking about? He had plenty of scenes. How you going to blame the kid for that? one note the whole damn time. I almost say... Shalham's doctor, because actually I was reading the trivia that that was a longer scene, but Shalham he hated his performance so much that he cut the scene down. Well, that's why an actor should never watch their own performance because they hate their performance and, more than anyone else. But you're calling Shalham an actor? No. <laughs> um, that's, that's besides the point. I, okay, of the main actors, Bruce Willis only because of how good the kid and Tony Collette is. He's he's gonna finish third place there because those two are amazing. So, I'm kind of surprised you're putting him third. <laughs> Tony Collette and the kid, they both got the kid was nominated for an Oscar. Oh, the and, kid was too. Yeah, and the girl was. Bruce Willis was the only person, <coughs> and and Shalham was nominated for best director, and the movies were nominated for best picture. Oh, damn. The only person who didn't get a nominee for an award was Bruce Willis. <laughs> That's gotta be a blow to the nuts. That had to sting. They all, the rest of them were all nominated. <laughs> that had to be a blow to the nuts. Okay. Best scene. I mean, you already oh, mentioned yeah, yours. The, well, the scene in the car, I think, is like, um, it's like, if you went to acting school, I feel like that's a good scene to show, like, just an amazing emotional range. So, so honestly, my favorite scene, I have to say, is when the father watches that tape. Because out of such a only one-time character we're seeing, just to see that range of emotion go from, you know, devastated because his daughter's dead to, the re- to realization and then anger from when he finds out his wife is the one who killed his daughter. Ruined his life. It, it was just amazing just because we don't really see that with the extras. Yeah, True. So I'm giving it to that. Plus, it was a pretty devastating scene, seeing some of the horrors of what real world can give you. Um, I feel like we've uh, we we we're once we're doing this as two categories, but let me just like say it like this: uh, if there's something you could change or add to, is there anything you would change or well, add more of? A, we're, we're not doing worst scene. Oh, actually, yeah. Let's start there. Wor- uh, worst scene. Wow. Um, probably. Bruce Willis's wife with her coworker because, like, the guy that she's like gonna kiss or whatever like that. It's like just because we don't care. Like I said, it's it's beating over our heads that you know he's estranged of Bruce Willis or she's estranged. We see all these scenes of okay, they're not communicating. We get the point early on, but they keep giving these scenes to fill in time. So everything with the wife for me, get it out of here. All right, so. This one's pretty hard for me because, unlike Vic, I actually enjoyed every aspect of this movie. Married asshole. To an, ex- <laughs> to an extent. You married son of a um, bitch. There's actually one scene that I actually did not care too much for, and that was the very first time we see Cole in the pl- in his play. Not gonna lie, I understand it's because Cole has to have some kind of human antagonist, which is kind of stupid for this kind of movie. And the form of Tommy being because Tommy was a actor in a commercial, but it, to me, damn, damn good actor. Well, no, a terrible actor. But to me, it just did nothing for me. It's like, oh my god! Wait a minute, correct it. 
Correction. The stuttering teacher scene is my worst scene. <laughs> I shit on that earlier. I got to bring that back up. That's the worst scene. But either way, so I'm going with the very first time. The, sec- the second play scene technically needed that because it shows Cole's uh, happiness, that he's happy now, yada, yada, whatever. Mm-hmm. Don't really care about the plays, but either way, the first play scene for me. Okay, so now... What would you change? Is there anything you would change? We'll, we'll phrase it from now on. It's like, is there anything you would change or add more of? Or no, no. Well, we can say, is there anything you would... You would change, add more of, or take out, we can say. So you can pick uh, any of those. So. so to be fair, I guess I would want to add more to like maybe the ghost lore of this movie, in a sense. Understand, yes, they're dead. They're, they're dead people. But some of these spirits seem like they're more of a what you would call residual haunting, where they just go through their own lives right before they died, whereas others are kind of conscious of their death or others as we see we don't know what the deal was doesn't even know he was dead yeah i mean even cole said that there's a lot of ghosts out there that don't know they're dead yet no as bruce does not know he's dead he's still like he still has his career going (laughs) he's still like actively being a psychologist (laughs) i guess he's still getting paid because his wife's using his credit card um that's true (laughs) um i would um I feel like I've, di- I've dissed the wife part of it too much, but I would say this, if she is grieving, I would eliminate her having moved on with a new guy. Well, she didn't even fully move on. She even turned him down when he came back. Yeah, but then you get another scene where they're still like in the same house again. It's like kind of like, I would just make her completely miserable, it seems. That would just be if, rude. If he's going to give her a closure at the end, then on the on the road there, let's make her be having the worst life possible. So then... When he gives her the closure at the end, we're like, she's going to be okay. What is with you and wives? This is not doing with wives. <laughs> I'm, saying, I'm saying build it up emotionally. You so it was so lonely, aren't you? <laughs> no, opposite. I'm saying this would be more emotionally satisfying. It would be put her through the ringer, and then he calms her at the end. Either way, so final thoughts. It's your pick, so you go first. Well, you know, as I said at the beginning, my whole way of viewing this is going to be more... Grading it on as a first watch and grading it on repeated viewings, I will say that um, on the first two watches, because the first watch everything's a mystery and everything's very intriguing, and then you get the twist and it's amazing. It's a great first watch. The second watch equally great because now you're looking at the clues and saying, "Oh yeah, he's a ghost heir. This makes sense." Second watch amazing. Um, I do believe no. No rewatchability beyond the second viewing. I can't imagine watching it again now going forward because I've, I know the twist and I've watched it with the context of, let's see if this makes sense with the twist. But in terms of entertainment, the scenes themselves, it's not an entertaining movie. It's not a fun movie. So it's like, I'm not going to revisit again. But because it's so good on those first two viewings, I'm still going to give it three stars. Because um, to me, like three and a half, four stars... As good as the movie can be the first time you watch it, for me to have three and a half, four stars, you have to have like a strong rewatchability also, I feel like. So I can only limit it at three stars because of the lack of rewatchability. If you can go in cold, like like your wife did, and somehow in 2022 not know the twist ending, <laughs> amazing first watch, amazing second watch. But then either don't watch it again or wait like 20 years where you forget about it completely and then watch it again and maybe you'll, you'll love it. But So I'm going to stick with three stars. All right. So for me, it, to me, I categorize this movie more as a drama 
definitely, than horror. <clears throat> Even though this movie likes to say it's a horror thriller. I don't know who, I don't know why anybody says that. It has horror elements, but they're very small. Really. Yeah, and it's definitely more of a drama. Because, uh, let's see, characters were great. The score just adds to the ambiance of what Beautiful the movie's trying score. to do. Beautiful score. Definitely, uh, the, definitely Sha- Shyamalan did a great job behind the camera with this movie. Writing and directing. He notch. knew what he, where to put the cameras, where he, what he wanted to make sure was included in this scene that was being filmed. Yeah, you get your scare, scary moments, what, like three? Um, but you get a lot of emotional moments. If you are a very emotional person, you will be crying with certain scenes. I won't lie. I had, I had a little bit of water in the eyes when I watched this movie. Hey, man, Tony Collette would do that to you, man. Yeah, Tony Collette was amazing. Cole was amazing <laughs> as an act, as an actor. But as you brought up, I don't see myself watching this for another couple of years. Wait until my brain pretty much forgets as, as many details as it can. And think about this. You had the benefit of watching with somebody. Like, I'll watch it again if I watch it with somebody who hasn't seen it. Because then you can away through them relive it, right? But but picture yourself being like just randomly on a day, so you're just hanging at home and be like, you're just not gonna think like, hey, let me pop in Sixth Sense and watch it. Mm-hmm. Like that thought will never occur to me for the rest of my life. Yeah, because be honest with you, it's not a, it's not a fun movie. I it's mean, not. It's a depressing movie. Yeah. But it has a story it wants to tell and it tells it perfectly. True. But because of rewatchability not being so high, I'm giving this movie two and a half. Wow, I'm shocked. Just because I was nice in the last two reviews, I have to give this one a mean wow. one. Wow. And now we're probably... I thought, I thought for sure I'm here shitting on the movie and you're defending it and I still ended up with a higher... And I guarantee you in about 100 plus episodes, Vic's going to make me rewatch this movie again so this I can is, change my score. This is the, this is the Tremors part too. <laughs> Jesus. I think you're going to... No, I think next week you're going to listen back and be like, hmm... I literally liked everything about the movie and gave it two and a half stars. <laughs> no, it's because of the rewatchability. I, I think I think that I think it's a fair point because I think that realistically How often are you gonna go back and rewatch this movie? Yeah, it's like you have to judge a movie based on, hey, is it only good on that first journey? Like, or is it a journey you can keep taking? There's certain movies that you can literally watch over and over again, like once a year. The and, Raid. And still have a fun experience. The Raid, Lethal Weapon, Die Hard. Yeah. As, as good as this movie is written and everything like that, it's not written for rewatchability. It's written for get all you can out of those first two watches. But then I would say this is not a movie you shouldn't buy. Just like find it every 20 years on a streaming service and watch it. But it shouldn't even be in your collection. You don't, oh. you don't, you don't want to watch it every I five years. I got it on Blu-ray. I bought this. Unbreakable. But you bought it as a pack, though. I and signs. Right? All on Blu-ray, yeah. Yeah, it was a comic pack. It's, but I was the, also... It's the, it's the same reason you have Die Hard 5, so... <laughs> Actually, no. You bought that separately. Yeah, so what happened You son was, of a bitch. Because I liked the first four Die Hard movies. I bought the fifth one thinking, okay, it's going to be decent. And then I watched it. You died hard that night. Yeah. Very hard. Yeah. So anyway, as well, everyone knows, you don't have to get a, go home, but you definitely got to listen to Vic talk about chicken nuggets for five seconds. Chicken nuggets are the greatest meal ever on the his, in the history of the world. And also, let me just mention next week, Unbreakable. We continue the Shilohem retrospective with Unbreakable. So watch it this week. Be prepared. I'm doing a deep dive next week on that. And as always, 
there's still time for you to get the drive-thru before it closes and get them chicken nuggets. Honey, was- honey mustard. Hot mustard. Honey mustard. Hot mustard. Stop trying to push on hot mustard. Hot mustard. It will not be a thing. Hot mustard, you motherfucker. Well, it depends on where you go.